We still got one big question left unanswered from the 2022 NFL Draft. We'll talk about that. Plus, we'll look ahead to the 2023 NFL Draft and talk about which Sooner gets drafted first. And it's Bedlam Softball Week, and we've got Macy Turley joining the show to break it all down for us on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Sooners, recording a little later than normal because of all the storms that came through Oklahoma last night. We hope you and your loved ones were safe, all your card, all your cars were protected, and everything is good where you're at. Thank you for joining us here on the Locked On Sooners podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams, and joining me as he does every day is Josh Helmer. You can follow Josh on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday on 94.7 The Ref in Norman, from 9 to noon, Monday through Friday. Josh, how's it going, man? John, my friend, how we doing? You uh, managed to stay safe from the storms? Yeah, absolutely did. It, it was you know just some hail a little bit over here in eastern Oklahoma, but the big issue was just getting the six-year-old back to bed after waking her up to bring her to the bathroom. So uh, all's good. She, kinda, he, she and the wife had a bit of a restless night, but it's all good. All right, so the big question that we've got lingering from the 2022 NFL Draft, Josh, is what's up with Perrion Winfrey, a guy that was expected to go out in the top 50 of the NFL Draft, especially after earning Senior Bowl MVP honors, really just blowing up the whole week, fell to the fourth round outside the top 100. And you teased this on the, on the show on Monday that you had a bit of a th- theory on this. So let, let's have it, Josh. Why do you think Perrion Winfrey fell to the fourth round? And Oklahoma fans, everybody was a little shocked that this played out the way that it did with Perry on Winfrey. Uh, you know, coming off of the the Senior Bowl for Perry on Winfrey, we were hearing, okay, second round definitely for Perry on, maybe even late first round. But I think we got caught up a little bit in that Senior Bowl MVP buzz, and we forgot that, oh, that's right, there's a full season of tape that NFL executives and scouts are able to go back and watch. And I don't know this to be totally true. I've not, you know, talked to the general managers at all 32 National Football League teams at this particular moment in time. Just just some of them, right? Just a just, few of them. Just a, just a couple of them. Just my best friends in the National Football League. That's right. I'm, I'm, guessing, I'm guessing that they were a little bit disappointed when they turned on the tape and watched this past season – for Perry on Winfrey at Oklahoma. There wasn't necessarily consistency week after week after week. And that's okay. We can go and assign blame to Alex Grinch and his defense for not having Perry on Winfrey, you know, schematically schemed up in the right places at all at, you know, every single juncture. But at some point in time, you got to go out and make plays. And not that Perry on Winfrey just didn't make plays in the 2021 season, but I do think it's fair to say that, you know, it wasn't always as explosive or dynamic for Perion in 2021 as kind of we were hoping. And really you look at the tape from last season for Perion, and I would challenge any of you Oklahoma fans out there to tell me that you genuinely disagree with this when you watch the tape. Did Perion look like a first or second round NFL draft pick to you week after week after week? 
No, he didn't. And I think that's what NFL teams saw too. And I think some of it comes back to much of what you said. A lot of people just trying to cast blame on, on Alex Grinch for the defensive scheme, but that didn't hurt Nick Bonito from going in the second round. It didn't stop Neville Gallimore from being a top 100 pick just a couple of years ago. And so, yeah, some of it is a little bit of inconsistency. I think we all thought Perry Winfrey had a really good year. I don't think people ex- thought it was going to be, or I don't think we thought it was as good as we expected it to be, if that makes sense. Like, I think going into last season, we had higher expectations given who he was going to be playing with along the defensive line with Isaiah Thomas, with Nick Bonito, Jalen Redmond coming back. It's going to create a lot of uh, pressure on the offensive line, should free him up to be a little bit more explosive. And honestly, like, it doesn't matter what the scheme is. You still have to be a good player and you have to be disruptive in, in your role. And NFL teams, they can see a player that is playing really, really well, even if they're playing outside of their position and they can see traits, whether they're playing out of position or not. And as much as we love Perry on Winfrey, we love the energy. We love the, the tenacity that he brings to the game. Yeah. We we're left a little bit, you know, with, something to be desired from his play last season. And I don't know if it's all on Perron Winfrey. It's not all on Alex Grinch either. It was just not as good as we had hoped, not as good as what NFL teams would have hoped. Uh, do you wonder if some of the fall might've been related to just how free he was with the media in kind of talking about Lincoln Riley, talking about Alex Grinch, the NFL community is a really tight knit group. The coaches, they don't like their players talking out of turn. And he was very free with the Oklahoma media in the, the build-up to the draft, the pro day, uh, before the Alamo Bowl. He was willing to let some things go on social media as well. And maybe coaches and, and front office people were like, this guy might be a bit of a wild card. Is that fair to, to kind of not necessarily assume that NFL GMs thought that, but could that potentially be something that they considered when they were looking at Perry on Winfrey? I don't think it's the wildest thought. It's, it's what we say about job interviews, right? You know, if you're interviewing for XYZ job and you're pretty close to XYZ candidate, okay, well, the differences are going to be very, very minuscule between the two candidates. And if one guy's a little less outspoken than the other in the National Football League, yeah, that could be a determining factor. Sure, it can We've seen over the years with Colin Kaepernick that because of the causes that he was going to be very outspoken and supportive of, yeah, that basically got him blackballed from the National Football League. So do I think that that was the driving force behind why Perrion Winfrey wound up ending up as a fourth-round NFL draft pick? No, I, I still lean a little bit more that it was the tape that teams put on and saw, and they said, wait a second, so you can flip this thing on for one week at the Senior Bowl, but you couldn't do that throughout the entirety of last season at Oklahoma? I think that's where the hang-up was for most NFL teams and why the slip happened, but I don't, I'm not telling you you're crazy either that that was on some level involved. Yeah, and we'll see NFL teams kind of overlook a lot of different situations to take a player higher, and so, yes, they definitely lean on the tape I do think that just personality, some some coaching staffs, some front office people might just like, hey, that's not really a personality we're ready to, to bring into the locker room. And that's not to say he's got a bad personality. He's just an outspoken person. That's just who he is. And that's not bad. That's not wrong. We love Perrion for it, actually. And it's it just sometimes doesn't vibe with some of the you know tight circles that the NFL community likes to 
keep in their locker rooms, in their front offices, things like that. They don't like players talking out of turn. It's it leads to like a player like Amari Cooper who questioned the play calling last year, questioned his role in the Dallas Cowboys offense, getting traded to Cleveland. And so, you know, just being outspoken, Terrell Owens, like he was a great player, was on so many teams just because he shared his views. He shared his opinion on things, whether it was right or wrong. Sometimes a lot of times it was right, but coaches don't like that. And so that, and again, this is not to say that Perry on Winfrey was knocked because of that, but it wouldn't surprise me if it, if it just kind of broke the tie a little bit for some players, like you mentioned, you hear all the time when people are giving interview advice, never talk bad about your previous job because it just makes you look bad in front of your future employer. And it's something I'm always hesitant to do. Even if I've got any kind of criticism or critique against the way, you know, my previous job ran things, I always try to, you know, veil it in a way that's like, Hey, this is just what I thought we could have might have done better, you know, not in a criticism. Cause there's always things you can take away positive and negative from a previous job. But yeah, I think it, it's going to be fascinating to see how Perry on transitions to the NFL. I think he's got the traits to be a very disruptive player for Cleveland's defensive line. But as a fourth round pick, where will he slot into that rotation? It's going to be interesting, inter- interesting to see, excuse me. Any other thoughts you want to add on this, Josh? Oh, I just think on that subject right there, we can correlate it to like real world job situations. Or if you want to do the the corny hacky radio host thing, which is, well, you know, if you're talking bad about your ex-girlfriend on your first date with your new girlfriend, chances are that's going to be a little bit of a red flag for her. So, I mean, I think it's fair to question if maybe that was a little bit of a factor for some teams. Yeah, but hey, shout out Perion. Congratulations for being drafted in the fourth round. Not everybody gets drafted, as we saw with the Texas Longhorns. So just got to get that shot in there every single time. Uh, before we go to Macy Turley here in just a second, we're going to talk about the 2023 NFL draft. We're already seeing mock drafts come out because it's never too early to look ahead. But first, I want to talk about Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of Major League Baseball season. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet Online is where the game starts. Okay, Josh, turn in the page, looking ahead to 2023. Which Oklahoma Sooner gets drafted first next year? I th- I think it's Marvin Mims, and I think he's got a chance to be a, a first-round NFL draft selection for Oklahoma. I'd be surprised if he falls anywhere you know, lower than the second round. I think he's going to be pretty safely in those first couple of rounds for Oklahoma as a draft pick. Beyond that, I'm trying to rack my brain here a little bit. Who else would even really – be in legitimate consideration to be a high pick Jalen Redmond, maybe. Yeah. I think Jalen Redmond somebody that could end up being drafted high if he has a productive season this year. But as we saw this past year, we thought Perion had a pretty good season, but fell. Um, I think, you know, if Marcus Stripling maybe has the year that a lot of us think he could have, he could end up being somebody that's taken in the top 60, like Nick Bonito was, but he's not going to have the multiple years of production like Nick Bonito had. Um, I don't know if Dylan Gabriel is going to get drafted or if he'll even declare for the draft after one year, but his height might knock him a little bit. And we saw all the quarterbacks fall this past and just this past weekend in the 2022 NFL draft. So I do think it's Marvin Mims that has the best shot at going high. 
it's really hard to pinpoint another player, maybe a Woody Washington, if he can prove that he's healthy for the entire season and has the season that we think he might be able to have as kind of that lockdown corner, then potentially I think Woody Washington could be that guy. You know, somebody that I think is a sneaky candidate is Key Lawrence. Yeah. If, if he has a great 2022 and he winds up being the clear best player in Oklahoma's defensive backfield and doesn't give up a bunch of plays – because he's got some size to him, if if he's electric this ne- next year, has a ton of pass breakups, uh, multiple interceptions, he's somebody, because of his ability to both play the run and the pass and the, the height and the size that he has attached to him, I could see him maybe really, you know, rocketing up some draft boards. I'm curious, you know, the way this last 2022 NFL draft played out for us, probably we didn't, but – for guys that are like Dylan Gabriel, where you mentioned it, he, he's not got the prototypical size. He's, you know, not what teams are typically looking for in that regard in the National Football League. So did we see a changing of the guard with how quarterbacks are going to get drafted in the NFL draft moving forward? Maybe that's a gross overreaction from this 2022 NFL draft, but Man, unless it's a surefire, can't-miss type quarterback prospect that is, you know, checking all of those boxes as a prototypical type quarterback, man, this might have been the first NFL draft that we're going to, you know, point back to as, okay, well, guys aren't just going to come off the board in the first round like they used to in the past. Yeah, I think teams are going to be a little bit more selective about quarterback play because I thought we had several really good ones, and they all fell. It was crazy to watch. But – We've got Bedlam coming up, and we've got a great guest joining the show to break down Bedlam, get us ready for this uh, Big 12 championship series that's really going to clinch everything. Joining us now is Macy Turley, 2000 national champion. She was with us a few weeks ago, or maybe even a month ago now, uh, just talking Oklahoma softball. Macy, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm great. I'm just plugging along and uh, enjoying some OU softball, enjoying the draft and uh, can't wait for this weekend. How are you guys? We're doing great. Uh, I don't know if you caught any of that conversation, but first we talked about uh, Perry on Winfrey. Were you kind of surprised to see him fall as far as he did in the, in the draft? You know what? I'm going to be honest. I don't, I don't put all of my eggs in one basket when it comes to the draft, because I think you, um, there's always some surprises in there. Yeah. So um Yes and no. I mean, it, it is what it is at the end of the day, but it's just so nice to see so many Sooners taken. And I don't know if you saw the, um, the I don't know if it was a, something that was going around on Facebook that showed that all of the, all of the colleges that have all of the, um, all of the players that are being drafted right now in Texas didn't have any. And it was a pretty nice to see that, but obviously supporting our Sooners and seeing them be able to realize their dreams, um, no matter where they are, I know they're going to excel and, and be great. Some, yeah, we had a lot of fun. Even- some would even describe that, sorry, John, as heartwarming that Texas had zero uh, draft picks. Yeah. I mean, it's just one more win for us, so we'll That's take right. them. That's right. We had a lot of fun over on Sooners Wire uh, collecting all these social media reactions to uh, Texas going over in the 2022 NFL draft, so make sure you check that out. All right, Macy. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State coming in with identical Big 12 records at 14 and 1. Obviously, Oklahoma is 45 and 1, the number one team in the nation. Oklahoma State's 38 and 9, is still a really, really strong team. But if you look at it statistically, Oklahoma just has them beat 
pretty much down the board. Oklahoma State's got the better fielding percentage of the two sides. So if you're Oklahoma and you're just looking at the stats and you, you're trying to break down this matchup, you're going into an emotional bedlam rivalry week. How do you maintain this kind of even keel when you are, you're the better team, but you know just a year ago Oklahoma State really pushed you in that three-game set? How do you go into this just kind of keeping everything even? Yeah, I think it's really about the confidence that this team has right now. I mean, they know they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to go out and and sweep Oklahoma State. You can still go out and win the series um, and drop one game, and you're still in a really good position. So I think that having that in their back pocket, I mean, they're they're known to have said, um, you know, it's hard to beat us, and it's hard to beat us twice, for sure. So um, having that type of confidence and going in, um, and Coach Kessler's even mentioned that this team has looked at times bored. Um, they're easily run-ruling teams, and they're not being challenged. So um, I think that they're really looking forward to this challenge, that they're really looking forward to having some solid competition, and they're going to give it their best shot. Um, it's, it's definitely something that I think they all look forward to. I mean, this is not the first time that this team um, has been in a high-stress, high-emotional uh, situation to where they can show that th- these are the games that they practice for. You know, Coach Gasso said that she holds practice to where um, it, it is chaotic so that they've they've already been through that so that the, the game time actually slows down for them. So you know it's going to be loud. You know it's going to be um, highly emotional. And we've just got to play it to where um, they are able to rely on those past experiences that they've been to the World Series, they've been in Bedlam before, they've been at Texas, they've been in these these situations to where the crowds, you know, um, even not been in their favor. And this, with it being at home, the crowd's going to be in their favor. So um, I think they've got all of that to rely on, and they're going to be pumped to play. I think we're going to see a really good series. Well, allow me to say, Macy, just first of all, good afternoon, and thank you for joining us here again on Locked On Sooners. It's great to have you back. Thank you. What do you make? What do you make of the series just being played in Norman? Remember, Oklahoma really wanted to sign up to kind of split this thing a little bit, and Oklahoma State pushed back and said, nope, we're going to play all three in Stillwater last season. So. Yeah. Now Oklahoma, of course, is the benefactor, like you mentioned, of having all three of these games in Norman for this go-around of Bedlam, and it's an important one for the Big 12 championship. What do you think, though? Just generally speaking, would you like to see, you know, one in Norman, one in Stillwater, maybe one in Oklahoma City or Tulsa? How do you feel about just where the series gets played? You know, I don't think I have a strong opinion either way. I mean, obviously, with Oklahoma State saying that they wanted to keep it last year, then that's fine. But like you said, now we get to reap the benefits of that and have it all in Norman this year. I like the switch back and forth. Um, I also think it would be really cool to maybe even have the series like we do with um, Texas football and have it, you know, at a neutral site. Maybe we, we play this series in Oklahoma City, and that's something that gets started. Then you really get to see kind of um, both of those fan bases show up and support each of their teams, which would be pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, if we could split it, that would be, that would be nice also. It's, it's nice to, um, to be able to experience that from both sides, to in, in many of our teams, we see they actually excel when we're on the road, when you've got that, um, that contentious environment that they're playing in, that they, they tend to excel. But, um, I mean, I'm all for a three-game series at home. I think it's going to be um, – we know it's going to be packed. It's going to be loud. The fans are going to be excited, and um, they're going to put on a good show. 
Looking at Oklahoma State for a second, what do you think the strength of their team is that Oklahoma has to be concerned about heading into the week? Um, well, Coach Skyski even said that this team, I mean, because of COVID, um, a lot of their players are getting, you know, um, extra years. So this team's been together for a while. Um, he said it's one of their strongest rosters that they've ever had. And his concern at the beginning of the year was you can have a strong roster, but you've got to make it into a strong team. And I think that they've been able to do that. We have seen them um, suffer some losses, but um, overall, they are they are a very good team. I mean, we see that with how they're ranked right now. So um, it's 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 a strong team. They've got um, a strong pitching um, team that they've got going for them right now. They've been very successful on the mound. Um, they're able to generate runs, and um, they've got good run support for their pitchers. So I think just that team that's been together for a while um, will be the the part that we've really got to pay attention to. That this isn't this isn't new for them either. No big deal. Two thousand national champion Macy Turley in the house with us here on Locked On Sooners. Macy, you know one of the great things that's happened for Oklahoma over the last couple of weeks, month, however long you want to you know term it, is Jada Coleman and her transition into the leadoff role for Oklahoma has been great at times. I feel like you really can't go wrong if you wanted to put Jocelyn Allo at the top of the order. That's not a bad idea. Of course, we've, we've seen T.R.A. Jennings really hit in that role and be great in the past there. Do you, have a, do you have a leading candidate who you'd like to be the leadoff hitter for Oklahoma? And what does it do for a team? I know we, it feels like we say this all the time about just this roster and batting lineup in general, but what does it do to, for Oklahoma to have different options uh, at leadoff? I mean, it's a coach's dream, right? You can't go wrong in this situation. I think you could literally put them all on a dartboard, throw it, and and whoever you get, you can lead off with, and you're going to find success. You know, it's being a coach myself where I'm always looking at that. You know, or should we take kind of our struggling players and do we put them at the bottom of the lineup or do we need to sprinkle them throughout the lineup um, so we kind of mitigate the damage that's done when we start seeing the bottom of the lineup? And Coach Castle doesn't have that problem. So um, for her to be able to, I mean, literally pull anyone off the bench and then be successful as well is um, a very, very strong weapon to have that she fortunately gets to utilize. And no matter who she puts at the top, the bottom, to pinch run, to pinch hit, um, we've seen that they've all been successful. So um, that's definitely, uh, like I said, a strong weapon that, that they'll be able to utilize against Oklahoma State as well. And the pitching staff has been incredible. I mean, we've, we've talked about the – the hitters and they're so deep. I mean, they've got six players with double digit home runs, but the pitching staff has really been incredible. Jordy Ball's kind of taken all the headlines, but Hope Troutwine, she's got an ERA less than 0. 0.10, 0. Right. 0.09. Like I my my brain cannot fathom that. Um yeah. I, I can't even remember the last time she gave up a run. It's been that long ago. How how great is it that they can have three pitchers that they can rely on to go out there and give them scoreless innings after scoreless innings? Oh, it's incredible. It's, um, it's something that I think every coach in the nation has to be jealous about to have that type of arsenal um, just at your beck and call. So if there ever was a time where one of our pitchers um, is struggling, she's got two more behind her that are ready to step up and take over. So um, yeah, we've seen, um, we've seen the success that, uh, that our pitchers have. And it's, um, it is, it's mind blowing to think that they haven't even been able to, um, I think coach Gasso said there's 60 innings that due to our run ruling of teams that our pitchers haven't been able to pitch. So they're even missing out on 60 different innings that, 
Um, otherwise, they would be getting those reps in and getting those pitches in. So for them to see that kind of success in that short of a period of time also is, um, it really is mind blowing. But these girls are just, they're amazing and they've got each other's backs. And um, if one, like I said, is struggling, the, the other two can come in. And um, that's got to be very comforting for a pitcher to know when they're on the mound and also for the defense to know and for the pitcher to know that the defense is behind them also. But to have that type of arsenal is um, it's definitely, I'm sure makes other coaches jealous. Macy Turley hanging out with us here on locked on Sooners. So when you start thinking about this series and breaking down some of the keys, what is maybe one or two of the biggest keys to Oklahoma winning this Bedlam series, capturing the big 12 championship and uh, what are we going to learn about Oklahoma coming out of this series? You know, it's, um, to me, it, no matter if you're playing T-ball, if you're playing um, college ball, or if you're in the major leagues, the keys to winning are, they are universally the same. I mean, you've got to um, dominate the controllables. So what are those things that we can control in a game? Um, well, our pitching has to be on. So we've got to limit our um, HPPs. We've got to limit our walks. Um, outside of that, they've got to make sure that um, their pitches, they're throwing pitches where their hitters are hitting ground balls to our fielders. And then you've got to give up the control and let our, our fielders get those outs. Um, you've got to take the, the easy outs as they come, as, as we always say. You know, those ground balls, we can't afford bobbles. We can't afford to put runners on when, when we're um, easily able to get them out. And I think that um, our hitters have to be on. They have to be on. They've got to be smart. Um, a lot of our hitters swing with more of an upward swing, which is great for a uh, mid to low ball. But we get into trouble once we start seeing high balls. We saw it with Texas. We saw it with Iowa State. Um, they start making bad choices at the plate. Next thing you know, they're swinging at higher balls and they're popping them all up. So we, got, we had a lot of fly balls. We had a lot of fly ball outs in those two games. So our pitchers have, or our hitters have to be um, smart when they're at the plate. They've got to be aggressive, but they have to be patient and look for those missed pitches when, um, when they are in the zone and be able to drive them and drive them hard. I think we can't rely totally on our long ball. Um, we may have to bring in, you know, more short game. We may have to be smarter, you know, base running. And we've, we've seen a lot of that, but to really put all of those pieces in together, um, so that we're kind of well-rounded hitters and we're able to manufacture runs when, when we need them. Um, I think all of those um, are just the, the keys to the game on, on um, keeping it simple and um, really controlling those controllables. And anytime you play in a series like this, whether it's the Texas rivalry, the Bedlam series, you're in the, the national championship tournament, the College World Series, there's always somebody – under the radar that rises to the occasion and kind of lifts everything. You, you know the stars, but who's the player that's kind of flying under the radar right now that's going to give Oklahoma a lift in Bedlam? You know, that's um, – I, I, my first thought when you ask this is, like, it's the bench. It's, it, it's not one player in my mind. It's, um, and it is that ability to call anyone up and um, for them to, to have success. Um, I mean, I used to say it was Alyssa Burita. Well, now she's like a staple on the team. She has now firmly cemented her position there. Um, Lindsay Elam's the same way. I mean, every time that she's called in to, to pinch hits, she's, um, she's dominating. And I feel like those are not, they're not flying under the radar anymore. Like everyone's yeah. very aware of who they are. Um, you know, Riley Boone and um, Tria Coleman and, 
um, all of these who have been called in to um, to step up have um, have done so successfully. So, um, to, in my mind, that key player that, that would be under the radar is just that bench and how um, how really deep that bench is, and that we can use them and we can rely on them, and um, they're going to be successful when they're called on. Hey, last question from me, Macy. I mean, obviously we're going to have all of our attention on Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Bedlam. But as you start surveying just the world that is college softball, where we stand right now, May 3rd, May 4th, entering this weekend, what do you, what do you think about just the landscape of college softball? Who do you see as serious contenders to potentially win the national championship, make the Women's College World Series? Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, where do they fall in that pantheon? How do you see things right now? You know, that's the fun thing about this time of year is um, we can predict it, but uh, fortunately they get to play it on the field and um, sometimes there's dark horses that pop up and um, like when we won it in 2000, we were we were kind of that dark horse that nobody really expected. So um, anybody who is seeing success right now, I think is a, is a real contender. I think we'll get a better view about how Oklahoma State competes and how we compete this weekend um, and how that's going to look going forward. Um, I think that uh, Florida State obviously is right there. They've got they just um, swept swept Oklahoma State this last weekend in two very close games, one in extra innings. Um, Alabama is obviously going to be there. I mean, it's it's kind of the ones that we um, we traditionally know and expect for them to be there. Um, all of them are playing well right now, so it'll be it'll be. This is definitely the fun time of year because. Um, you start everything that you you've seen in the past and you've been seeing this year so far. Um, it's all playing out and it's um, all the, the groundwork's being laid for for some great competition. And we're definitely here for it. Thank you, Macy, so much for just providing your insight and your expertise. We'll definitely have you back during the College World Series because, like you said, it's going to be a lot of fun to follow this team. I'm looking forward to seeing who's this year's James Madison. I mean, is it going to yeah. be James Madison again? Will Wichita State? Will their offense be enough to, to carry them deep into the College World Series? It's going to be a lot of fun. And, Macy, we thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Locked On Sooners. Make sure you go – tell people where they can follow you on Twitter because I forgot where that's at. <laughs> it's at Macy Turley. There you go. Follow, follow her for all of her softball insight. But, hey, just Oklahoma Sooners insight in general. She keeps up with everything that's going on as well. So go check that out. We'll catch you tomorrow with more talk on – Oklahoma Sooners. We've got some NIL transfer portal stuff we want to get into as well because it just it's getting crazy. Lincoln Riley's trending every single day because of stuff. We'll just leave it at that. We'll leave it for the next episode. Is but Lincoln for, Riley a thief? Your phone calls and discussion next. That's right. Hit us up at Locked On Sooners on Twitter, Locked On Sooners on Facebook. You can also send us an email, lockedonsooners at gmail.com. For Josh, I'm John. We'll catch you next time. Boomer Sooner.